I'm Stephen, he's Chris, and this is Mobile Arcade Club, a show where we take a look at games from Apple Arcade each episode and talk about what works, what doesn't, and hopefully let you know if it's something you might want to try. On this episode, I delve into the quick hits of roguelike strategy in Legends of Kingdom Rush, and Chris takes in some solitaire stories. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Mobile Arcade Club. On this episode, we're looking at Legends of Kingdom Rush by Ironhide Game Studio from Uruguay and Solitaire Stories from Red Games Co. Utah. But to start things off, Stephen, you've been the one playing Legends of Kingdom Rush. Tell us all about it. What sort of game is it? Yes, so it's it's a turn-based strategy RPG with uh, a self-described rogue-inspired structure. Uh, it's from Ironhide Game Studios out of Uruguay, and it's one that I chose purely on recommendation from a friend. So if if you happen to be listening, David, thank you. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting um, strategy RPG where you set out with a cast of characters and go through various stages. You navigate across a world map, go into turn based sort of strategy battles, and yeah, progress through the game from there. Uh, the I'd say that the core of the game, the, the turn based strategy part, is really interesting in that you you know you move characters around. You have a huge huge variety of characters that you can choose from. Uh, or you gradually get more as you go. You have a, a beginning one or two characters from memory and you'll find more as you go along the game. Um, but yeah, each of them are really, really varied and offer you heaps of different options to how you approach a situation. Uh, so yeah, just to get uh, you know, right back to the base of what a turn-based uh, strategy is, because not necessarily everyone's played it, it will be you... At, the play area is split up into a series of hexagons and you can you'll in each sort of action phase you can move a character and potentially do some sort of action whether it's an attack or a supportive action to another one of your teammates and depending on the character you might be able to do one or both or more than that just purely depending on what kind of character they are and yeah you need to use Move, move your characters around, being aware of their range of attack, but also being aware of the range of your enemies, where they can move to and potentially make your characters vulnerable to their own attacks. And yeah, taking all of that into account to to hopefully come out the other end with hopefully all of your characters. It doesn't, you can have characters die and it's not like a permadeath fire emblem sort of thing. So not the end of the world if a character dies during a combat encounter, but it's, best avoided because if you if a character dies they do semi-permanently lose one of their bars of health so it's best avoided if you can um but yeah it's it's really interesting the rogue part is something that i found quite quite unusual for this style of game in that each stage i think they were called is a a small self-contained little like a world map, I guess. You move from one part of the world map to another. There's a whole pile of branching paths. You can go countless directions, really. Uh, and you'll move around. You can find combat encounters, find challenge encounters, and whatever your case may be. But each time you start a level, you you're, all of your characters start out totally fresh. So you'll be at level one at the beginning of this, and you'll gradually build up your characters as you hopefully succeed through through each of these maps uh and so yeah you'll go through do that and say if you get to the end or whether you get to the end or whether you die 
you start either the next one or retry the previous one and all of your characters are back at their initial level one state, which I think the game sets your expectation that you probably won't succeed every time. And I found that this uh, restarting from scratch every time helped me be able to be quite flexible in how I approach something. It lets you try something and if it doesn't work you can try something else or you know try a different character in that slot or something that might might be able to help you get past a particularly troubling part um but yeah it it was quite a a change from most strategy rpgs that i've played where you build up characters over tens hundreds of hours potentially and you'll choose their abilities to find out their strengths and weaknesses and really hone in how you build that character whereas this one more like other roguelikes, you will build your character on a per run basis. Once that's done, it's back to the starting point and you'll try a different time the next one. And it helps to be helps you to be really, really flexible and play around with different uh party makeups, different ability makeups and things like that to yeah, to make it a really flexible and interesting game. Yeah, and with with these characters and units that you spend time with throughout the game, what sort of unit types are we talking about? Do they fit within sort of the usual, um, you know, archetypes of like um, like what, what sort of what sort of era is this? Is this like a, a fantasy medieval sort of thing? Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, so is it like fighters and archers. Yes. Yeah. So you have you start off with a kind of a, a heavy tanky. Uh, swordsman guy who can both attack and provide some sort of reflective shield to themselves or their teammates uh, but there'll be other things like like archers magic users and just such a wide variety of different characters within that uh, say for example the magic users that i've had there were some that were just straight up they'll shoot a ball that hurts someone or you might find a one that'll place curses on the ground or place um like brambles on the ground so anything that walks over it gets slowed down or rooted to the ground and it's really the game really encourages you to play around with all of these effects each attack uh, for all of the characters all of their abilities have a like a standard effect and what they call an epic effect and so that epic effect will be triggered in very specific circumstances from memory one of them the archer they will do extra extra damage that will trigger their epic effect of one of their attacks if they attack an enemy that is already sort of held in place or rooted. So that way yeah, it, it makes makes you be fairly experimental with playing around. Use one character to set up a combo and another to finish it off. A little, little bit Mass Effect-y now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, it really paid to play around with the party party structure if you know to set up those combos as well as just to see the cool new things all of the new characters do and you unlock new characters at a pretty pretty steady pace i found at the at the end of each run i usually had a new character to try and even in between some runs you will like just find someone along the way and depending on how you deal with their little dialogue interaction they might be happy to join you and they just become a temporary team member till the end of that run I'm curious with such what sounds like such a rapid recruitment of characters at the end of runs or in, in between um, counters and that sort of thing. Did you ever find that some unit types were intrinsically more useful or more more versatile than others? Because one thing I, I find when I play some turn-based strategy games, I tend to gravitate towards particular types of units, but the best the best games are the ones that 
I think, are, are really good at getting you to really make use of all of the diverse units' abilities together, whereas some of the less engaging games are the ones where you can just spam your way through with you know, a single or you know not as wide variety of unit types. Yeah, it definitely... I found myself gravitating to... A particular makeup, I'd usually have at least one sort of tanky character who can go in the front and hopefully take most of the damage so that my more squishy damage dealers behind aren't in the front line of fire. Uh, and then I'd usually accompany them with with an archer of some sort so that you can have that, you know, they stand behind the knights or the tanks so that they can do some damage without being in major danger themselves. Uh, and typically the third slot for me was a bit of a wild card. That would be where I'd place the newest character I found just to give them a try. So, you know, sometimes it would be a sneaky sort of roguey thief character who will get critical hits with a, um, with a dagger or be able to poison someone without them noticing and things like that. So it would, it definitely encouraged you to play around with the makeup of your team. I think I didn't get far into it enough to, to have a, to, to experiment with everyone because there are just so, so many characters in this. But yeah, I found for while I was playing, I liked at least having a tank and some sort of range damage dealer. And the third being a wild card was a fun way to play around with how that dynamic can can change when you introduce different characters into the mix. Nice. And sort of overall, how would you see Legends of Kingdom Rush in uh, sort of perspective to other turn-based strategy games in terms of where, where does this sit among um, others in the genre that you've played in terms of, you know, would you, you know, go back to this or happily recommend it to those looking for turn-based strategy or are there others on mobile or on other platforms that you would more readily recommend? I think as it's quite different to a lot of other strategy RPGs that I've played in that specific rogue-ish element in that you're not building a character over a long period of time. So I feel like it's it's got enough to differentiate itself from your fire emblems, your disguise, your whatever the case may be, that I think if you enjoy any of those games, this will be different enough that you probably will will find enough different about it to enjoy it to differentiate it, but also, you know, it is at its core, a, a strategy RPG. It's fairly small scale, so it's not grand, massive battles. It's more lots of smaller skirmishes in amongst your overall world exploration. But for for the bite-sized kind of experience that it is, you can dip in and out really easily. So once you've finished a skirmish, even if you're not at the end of a sort of world map stage, you can just jump out and jump back in. I jumped out after a battle on one device, jumped on on a different device later and picked up exactly where I left off. So I think, yeah, I would definitely recommend it, especially if you are looking for something a little bit more bite-sized. You don't have to sit down with this for hours and hours at a time to feel like you're making progress. Um, and sort of on that note, even though it does have the reset your characters back to level one at the end of a run, success or fail, uh, even if it has that, there are still some elements that give you permanent ongoing progress, I guess. So there's two different ways that you level up characters. While you're doing the run, you will get certain kinds of experience that will allow you to level up one of the characters in your in your team and then you can choose they'll have three three levels you can go up to and each one will have a particular subset of abilities that that character can unlock at that level 
you start off with each character having one ability at each level that you can choose from. Uh, but at the end of each one, they get sort of, I don't know quite what they called it, but permanent experience, I'll say. And so what that does is it doesn't it doesn't level them up for the future, but it means that when they do level up in the future, you'll have up to up to three things to choose from each time you level up. So you, know, you might have a just completely different kinds of abilities. When you hit level one with a character, it, you might have three different things that you can choose from so that you can both experiment with new ways to use that character. Um, but it also means that it's worthwhile sticking with a character for a while, if only just to find out what else you're going to be able to unlock f- with them. So that might change up the way that you play. Hmm. Nice. Well, it, on on the overall, it sounds like it's the sort of game that, you know, as you say, one of the lovely perks of Apple Arcade is that you can play on one device and then pick up progress on, um, you know, your Apple TV or a Mac or something like that, which is always a nice bonus. And especially for a game like a turn-based strategy, which is one that you can literally, you know, pick up and play perhaps more readily than a lot of other genres. Um, And it sounds like it's a really good one to play alongside perhaps a a more long form strategy game in terms of, you know, ones that don't adopt a, a roguelike structure in terms of the character progression and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it certainly, certainly sounds like it's carved out a nice little niche for itself. And I think one thing as well, sometimes the term roguelike can be a little bit off-putting because it's usually associated with a high level of difficulty as well. And that is not incorrect in the case of this. It does actually, when you first start the game, it gives you a choice of uh, two different difficulty levels, an easier one and a normal one. When you select normal, it does sort of set your expectations to say, you probably will die. That is how the game's designed. You're not going to succeed every time. And I feel like setting those expectations for me, it helped me frame things as a learning experience and as a or maybe if I try something else kind of experience rather than oh I'm just not good enough at this game to do anything but it does have that more easier difficulty so if you do feel that you know even with its setting of expectations it might just still be off-putting to you if you try that easier difficulty mode it might be a way to get into this and you might find a new genre that you enjoy. So I'd say don't be put off by what sounds like high difficulty because there are options to to adjust that if it's if that's more to your liking. Nice one. And is there anything else you'd like to add to close out your analysis of uh, Kingdom Kingdom Rush? Um, or Legends of Kingdom Rush, rather? Yeah, Legends of Kingdom Rush. I'd say it's it's something that I found really I wanted to keep going back to it. It's got a really effective loop. It's got the, you know, you're moving around the world. You'll find these events that happen between battles, which can affect, I, I didn't even get into the morale system, but say you can, you might just find a, a group of cultists that are doing something nefarious between, you know, two combat nodes that you go between. And you think, well, can I do something about this? Should I do something about it? And if you do, it will sort of roll a dice depending on which characters you have, and that determines the actions that you can take. If you're successful, it often gives your characters a boost of morale, and that will make them more effective in battles the next time. But it also has the the risk of not working and ruining their morale so they become less effective in battle. So it, it gives you lots of these little micro decisions to make even outside of the the yeah, the actual battles themselves. 
and those being part of this overall loop of starting a stage, having all these little decisions to make, all of these little movement decisions and combat decisions, it's... I really, really enjoyed it as a bite-sized way to to get these little bits of strategy in and, yeah, heartily recommend it. Nice one. That comes as a, a very strong recommendation from Stephen. So if you're at all interested in getting a strategy fix on Apple Arcade, Legends of Kingdom Rush is where to find it. So now it's time to talk about a very classic sort of card game that many of us are familiar with to various levels of skill, I might add, uh, putting a big disclaimer there on myself, especially. <laughs> and uh, myself. Solitaire, <laughs> yes, Solitaire Stories by Red Games Co. Utah. So this was what I checked out on and off over the last few weeks. And I'm not someone who's very good at Solitaire at all. I I've played the odd game on, you know, Windows computers that have like the free games and whatever, but I always gravitated towards the pinball game. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I think it was uh, how, how many of us uh, of our sort of age played, you know, at, uh, at school or um, outside of school. But I digress. Uh, Solitaire, um, this is the... Uh, what I believe is referred to as Klondike Solitaire. Uh, now, if you'd asked me beforehand what the difference between Klondike or Spider Solitaire was, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. And I still don't know because this is just Klondike Solitaire. So. Honestly, I thought Spider Solitaire was just meant that there were spiders on the back of the cards. That That's my degree of knowledge of this game. <laughs> You're telling me that's not what Spider Solitaire is? Look, it's all I can see. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, Solitaire Stories uh, uses... What what I believe is the most common type of solitaire, the Klondike solitaire. And my first impressions are pretty strong because Solitaire Stories has a really nice and really slick presentation of the, the card game, uh, especially in terms of its visuals and music. All of the cards feel really satisfying and tactile to sort of, you know, tap and drag across a touch screen and, you know, making all those nice very satisfying, you know, card flicking sounds, uh, which, um, you know, you hear perhaps when, well, not that I go to casino regularly or whatever, but the odd time <laughs> I've found myself at a casino and the card dealers are doing all sorts of fancy things with the cards. You know, those are the satisfying sounds you get. So, um, but yeah, so really, really like the presentation of Solitaire Stories. It's it's really nice to look at. Uh, there's lots of nice music in the background while you play as well, which... I think, you know, comprises half of the solitaire experience. Mm. Uh, I can't can't imagine, you know, wanting to play solitaire with just a deck of cards in, in real life. Um, that's that's not, not me, but uh, the I digital version. I need more flashing of, lights and sounds to keep my interest. Yeah, yeah, which solitaire stories certainly has the, the flashy aspect down pat. Uh, but one thing that's interesting and is sort of an eponymous um element of solitaire stories is that the main mode would you believe incorporates some form of storytelling shocking um yeah i know <laughs> there's there's various uh, little self-contained narratives that you play through um the first being or the first that i played was a quirky little narrative with some you know little little voice acting and uh, narration happening as well where you're an office worker attempting to avoid work or avoid the big boss uh, and trying to spend as much of the working day playing solitaire instead of doing work which you know to be honest 
is the dream and yeah. a great way of sticking it to the capitalist man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, the, there are other stories as well, including um, one, someone's ambitions, uh, wanting to be a, a musician, and that one was really, really lovely. Uh, the More so the, the presentation around it because with each of these narratives, it's a different deck of cards in terms of the the design of the cards and the art of the the playing surface slash area and the music as well and the the music playing uh, behind sort of the musical themed solitaire story was really really lovely just this lovely classical music but the the stories they're they're a you know I'd say they're a a tenuous at best. Uh, connection to playing solitaire but i was gonna say i don't quite know how you incorporate a story into solitaire and even even if it's tenuous it's almost impressive that they've done what they have yeah which i mean to be honest you know the main reason you play any game of solitaire is to play would you believe the game of solitaire but again shocking Indeed. The the thing the thing here is, you know, they, they connect it, you know, albeit tenuously, uh, you know, with with a bit of a, a little narrative as well, which is, you know, more of a more of a little quirk and a little bit of, you know, progression, you know, progressing through a story and with each story beat, you generally play two games of solitaire and in between each story beat the difficulty increases by you know, a level or a star or um, the you know, measure of how difficult a game of solitaire is. And, you know, that's that's a way of sort of, you know, having some form of progression, which I think for someone like myself who would certainly place my skill into a, a beginner, you know, a beginner's basket is that it's it's a good way of, you know, Getting some, getting some nice and easy wins um, to start off with, you know, before you progress to some more uh, complex games of solitaire, where the, the deck is, or you know, the deck is shuffled in a way that there are fewer moves or fewer solutions on offer. Which, yeah, it's it's all quite handy and all quite a you know very nice way of of playing the card game. And if you you know just want to speed through games of solitaire if you've got a potential move on offer where you can place you know like a you know a 10 on a jack or you know like a, a black 10 on a red jack uh, that sort of thing you know the alternating suits alternating colors thing um you can just tap on the card you want to move in question and it will automatically move it to what is a possible move um however if there are multiple moves available then you know it's in your best interest to touch and drag it to make sure it goes specifically where you want it to. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a nice, nice, simple, and nice streamlined way of of playing. And in addition to the the stories, there are also daily challenges uh, which net you little in game currencies to then spend on additional uh, card decks and uh, additional little you know bonuses uh, like that. And there's, you know, you can also just play a you know, quick game of solitaire for the heck of it, uh, which, to be honest, that's probably what I spent most of my time doing because when I found myself with a spare few minutes and on my phone, I thought, let's just queue up a, a quick game of solitaire and mm. it's just nice to have one on Apple Arcade that I can jump a game team. and, yeah, that sort of thing. 
But I think um, going back to the, the story side of thing, I, I I don't mind the the story and the weaving of these these stories with Solitaire, even though as as I've said, I do find the the connection between you know the the card games and the the stories a, a bit tenuous or a bit you know forced. Uh, it's 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 interesting because this playing Solitaire stories actually prompted me to go back and play uh, an Adelaide made game uh, by a studio called Mighty Kingdom and one of their big sort of free-to-play games is I think it's Ava's Manor, uh, Ava's Manor, uh, a solitaire story or something like that and it's interesting because I thought okay well I want to compare how these two different solitaire games compare you know playing a solitaire based game with incorporating a story and the Ava's Manor thing was more in line with was the case with Simon's Cat uh, when when I played that a little while ago in terms of there's some minor cosmetic customization of renovating or rejuvenating a rundown area and some little story beats in between okay, oh, we're out of energy. We've got to play a game of solitaire to regain that energy or build up enough points to then progress the story further or renovate the next thing. Um, and with Ava's Manor, it wasn't solitaire, like Klondike solitaire or a full solitaire game. It was, okay, here's a bunch of cards on the screen and you've got a limited hand or a limited deck of cards and you've got to try and find a way of clearing the screen, right? Okay. Follow, following the following the solitaire conventions, you know, like yeah. placing you know nine on ten, eight on nine, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, until you'd cleared the screen or done your best to clear the screen with what you've been given. Whereas solitaire stories was far more satisfying when I wanted to play a fully fledged game of solitaire because that's exactly what it was, as opposed to a solitaire based game mm, if that makes sense it almost sounds like a solitaire solitaire based like challenge scenario or a challenge puzzle kind of here is a situation how do you solve it as opposed to as you say just a game of solitaire yeah yeah and that's that's a far better way than whatever waffle i i mentioned but, <laughs> but we get the, there in um, the end between the two of us <laughs> indeed, indeed. Two two brains are better than one. Um, but yes, the solitaire stories, th- there were a couple of things that annoyed me a bit, but there's there, this, this is, there's sort of two factors to this. Uh, and I'll get to the second in a bit, but the, the thing that really annoyed me most from a beginner's perspective to solitaire was that the, the hint system wasn't super helpful and this is because of the fact that at the time of playing I couldn't for the life of me find a setting that would let me uh, you know receive a notification like it would playing Windows Solitaire or you know many other games which would give you a prompt and end the game or oh, you're out of moves this it's now impossible to finish or successfully complete this game because I knew going into it, you know, you can't actually win every game of Solitaire due to the random nature of shuffling a deck and so on. But um, 
But it's nice to know stories. that when you've cooked it, you've cooked it. Yeah, because I did find myself spending a very silly amount of time on some of the early games when I probably should have realised, oh, hang on, I think I've actually got myself into a no-win situation and now I'm just shuffling cards back and forth until the end of time. And this is where the hint system I found really frustrating because when it got to a certain point in that no-win state, it would... It wouldn't tell you, okay, you're out of moves, let's end the game here. It would instead prompt you to keep drawing from the the deck in the top right and then I would keep drawing and it would tell me to keep drawing and then once I'd drawn from the deck, it'd say, oh, no, 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 start the deck again and keep drawing. I'm sure a solution will come of that. Oh, gosh, uh, which, okay. W- well, you know, insanity is the... Uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But and I guess the, if you're um, someone who's a beginner, I imagine there are probably some telltale signs that you've gotten yourself into an unwinnable position. But, you know, beginners like yourself and me probably don't know those. So, yeah, I feel like I'd be much the same, just, well, maybe this one will do it. Nope, maybe this one will do it and just add infinitum. No, no. And I, I found some just some little little buggy elements as well like with the hint system sometimes you tap on the hint button and you cue the sound effect for a hint like the the shine effect you know that glosses over a card that you can interact with uh but the the visual effect sometimes wouldn't uh wouldn't trigger uh-huh. which it meant oh okay uh what card was I meant to do it? And if you if you tap it again, it would usually, you know, do the do the effect again, and then the the visual would accompany it. So it's it's one that would resolve itself, but just just some other little you know quality issues. Sometimes there'd you know be um, uh, some odd transitions between menus and games, or abrupt sort of transitions between completing a game or navigating from one menu to another. But th- those are you know, minor in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Now I'm getting to the the second factor and second element of uh, these issues is because literally just at the time of recording, and I'll bring this up on my phone, at the time of recording, there's been a new update for Solitaire Stories, which uh, includes a bunch of new stories, new new deck designs, blah, 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 you know, updates, scoring and achievements. Oh, look, it's now bringing out-of-moves alerts, how I could have used that the last couple of weeks. (laughs) We just time it beautifully, don't we? But yes, so while while some of my experience was a little bit frustrating, uh, listeners, please do note that uh, they have addressed a significant part of that, and it does say that coming soon uh, are improved hints and performance. So literally everything I've mentioned, it seems like they're aware of and are already working on and are already on top of it. So while, yeah, obviously I can only speak to the experience that I had, I have full confidence that pretty well everything that I've said will be obsolete in a matter of weeks. <laughs> so hopefully you listen to this very soon. <laughs> yes, yes, hopefully. This episode will not date well. <laughs> well, uh, anything else you wanted to to bring up on, on this one before we finish up the show, Chris? I don't think so. I think I've really covered the, the entirety of my experience with Solitaire Stories Really, to, to sum it up, it's it's a really slick, uh, really slickly 
presented game of solitaire one that's not really great for beginners as such because and i think we're spoiled somewhat considering we played the uh the sudoku um what was, was it? it good really sudoku? good sudoku very good sudoku yeah, good sudoku yeah super excellent mega good sudoku whatever it was something called. like that you know the, the zach gauge one uh because that was really really fantastic for beginners and had a lot of customization to um sort of augment your experience according to your level of skill whereas here with solitaire stories i think you know it does assume a base level knowledge of solitaire so do go into the game with that knowledge but aside from that the the story presentation is done quite well albeit the the tenuous connection between the stories and the uh the the games of solitaire themselves uh perhaps a little bit on the unintentionally humorous side but it's it's a it's a pretty slick way to to play solitaire and especially if you've got an apple arcade subscription and you're looking for a a game of solitaire to cut your teeth on then yeah there's uh, really nothing overly wrong with solitaire stories cool sounds good well i guess with that we should move on to talk about what we're going to be talking about on the next episode uh for myself i chose a game that i played the absolute uh non-curse word out of uh back when it very first came out <laughs> I, I feel like it was around 2009 2010 but don't quote me on that game dev story by kairosoft out of japan uh the description calls it a manage your own game company and try to create a million selling game in this unique simulation I remember just being absolutely hooked to it I haven't played it in probably a decade ish so yeah very excited to see how it's held up all these years later yes the Kairosoft formula is a you know a, a well-used one because they've certainly brought out a lot of games but yeah certainly I see game dev story as the one that started it all and yeah very keen to to hear how it's you know held up and been remastered as a Apple Arcade Plus game as for me I'm playing a racing game by the name of Detonation Racing, which is by Electric Square from Brighton, UK. And it's billed as the most dangerous, least sensible racing series designed. And Electric Square, I believe, have worked on some of the the mobile games of the the Forza series. So they, they know what they're doing when they're making a racing game. So it'll be interesting to see what they're doing with their own IP here and people making similarities and references to, I think, Split Second, which was a bit of a a cult classic uh, racing demolition game. So I'll be very intrigued to see how detonation racing goes. Sounds exciting. Well, I look forward to giving both of those games a try and hopefully having some nice things to say about it next time. But until then, uh, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you had fun and maybe found something useful. If you did enjoy the show, we'd love it if you told a mobile game loving friend about it or gave us a review in Apple Podcasts. It all helps more people find the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at MArcadeClub where we'll talk about games from upcoming episodes and each of us hosts are happy to chat gaming too. Our handles are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and we'll chat again next time.